On the take, Neto doesn't go. Trent with it. Trent, two seconds. Trent drills it for the win. Gary Trent Jr. delivers the W for the Raptors at the buzzer. As you just heard in that clip, Gary Trent Jr. launched his first game winner with the Raptors to put them at a 20 and 30 record. It came just three days after he got the franchise's highest ever plus minus on the floor, plus 54 rating against the Warriors in an absolute blowout win, which I believe is the largest ever win of any NBA team this season, uh, eclipsing the 51-point record of the Clippers against the Mavericks earlier in the year. And suddenly, just an episode after we talk about Nick Nurse and how he must embrace the competitive tank, the Raptors seem to be in a position where they are too good to tank, but also not good enough to make anything past the play-in tournament. So it's a confusing one because the team is coming back together. These wins were achieved without the likes of Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet. Uh, and of course, other people are still out and recovering. Um, it's it's a very difficult purgatory for the Raptors at the minute. And uh, with my, as ever, loyal co-host, Varel, we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into these games, maybe see if they're anomalies or not, maybe see about going forward four crucial games against Eastern Conference rivals coming up. What do the Raptors do going forward, Varel? The ideal strategy would be to win every single game by 50 plus points, uh, which, you know, we'll talk on, about how this can, can you Can you send that to Nick Nurse in writing, please? Just just so it's <laughs> on the record. But yeah, that, what a game that was. But um, I'm ashamed to perhaps say this, but my focus hasn't really been on this team much. Uh, not just this week, but in the past couple of weeks, I've been looking more so at the playoff contenders. I've seen, for example, um, the likes of, say, Siakam starting to find his groove again. We've we kept saying this all season. Um, there have been stretches where he's looked to be playing back at his uh, all-star level. But um, I think maybe the main story in the past you know, a couple of games has been Gary Trent Jr. But uh, we'll, again, we'll discuss it this episode, but you know, is this Raptors team, again, looking to be competitive? Uh, is there a possibility for them to reach this playoff tournament? Because it's something I'd actually forgotten, Kamel. Um, it was only, I was only reminded of it this week that there is a playoff tournament or is it 7th to 10th place? 7th to 10th place, yeah. Raptors currently sitting in 11th place in the Eastern Conference, uh, two games behind 10th place Chicago Bulls. So, yeah, and of course we did help out Chicago Bulls by giving them a. Oh no, it's not not us. Sorry, Daniel Tyst um, went there. They also they obviously got Vucevic as well. So that Bulls team is actually significantly better than it was before, um, the trade deadline and everything. But um, yeah, I'd still say, Kamel, if we actually look at some of those other teams, um, there's also the Pacers in the nine seed, Knicks in the eight seed. But these teams are you know, four or five games ahead of us. I actually think the best chance for us is perhaps to pip the Indiana Pacers uh, just because, uh, you know, post Oladipo trade, they haven't uh, 
the, the team does simply just doesn't have the same ceiling as they did before he left. Yeah, no, they're looking pretty shoddy at the moment. Um, I think we will discuss uh, the next four games, as I said, crucial games going forward a bit later in the episode. Yeah. Um, for now, though, I think it's quite important. Uh, from a pessimistic point of view, you could say that the wins against Golden State and Washington were actually perfect results for both the opposition teams, of course. Uh, let's go straight to the Washington game. Russell Westbrook really playing like a tank commander uh, in that one. I believe he he was taking an unbelievable amount of mid-range bricks in that fourth quarter as the Raptors really made a comeback, uh, you know, outscoring uh, outscoring them um, by 28 to 15 in the fourth. Uh, the Wizards, of course, with an 18 and 32 record, they're, they're clearly tanking. I mean, I know they got Russ and Bradley Beal, but that's a team that's clearly hoping for a high pick uh, to supplement the younger players like uh, Bert. I was about to say Bertans, like Hachimura. Um, and even uh, Matthews off the bench, who scored 17 against the Raptors. It's definitely a team that's developing. But on the Raptors' side, of course, despite the pessimism, there was positives. Uh, as we, as you said, Siakam is starting to look like his normal self. An interesting tidbit that came out of an interview not too long ago was that when he did get COVID, he lost 10 to 15 pounds. And he hasn't... Well, he's chosen not to put that back on because... He feels like he's playing leaner. He feels like he's playing faster. And I think that's very clear. When he manages to get to the rim, he's definitely developed that side of his game. And I know he hasn't necessarily played against the best defenses recently, but if you look at the teams he's scored against, you know, it's it's good teams. It's 27 against Denver, right? With Who have very yeah. lengthy defenders, right? Even Portland. Uh, and even, to be honest, Golden State. I know they're weak, but 36 against Golden State is a very mature performance he's not jacking up as many threes anymore he's just using yeah. them like he did in the 2019 finals you know when he's open he'll he'll take them sure but he's not pulling up from three like he's pretending he's Steph Curry or Chris Boucher for example so yeah. and I, I just want to touch on something there Kamel so you talked about his offense there which uh, needs to be mentioned with regards to the weight loss but you can actually look at the impact it would have on him defensively as well because the kind of role he's actually playing he is a, a four for the team, but with, again, positionless basketball um, that is occurring at the moment. And with the fact that he is the star wing for this team, that weight loss, if he is quicker, if he feels like he's more nimble on his feet, would mean that he's more able to match up defensively with some of the star forwards, um, not just in the league, but in his conference as well. You know, the likes of, uh, when we look at the Celtics, both Brown and Tatum, for example, because... Uh, even when he had that weight, he wasn't really um, guarding the starting centre for the opposing team. Uh, that would obviously more likely be Baines or, say, Boucher when he was on the floor. So it's not like he needed weight um, for for the defensive end. He wasn't. There's not many big, bulky power forwards who are going to be looking to bully him uh, in the NBA at the moment. That's just not a role that exists. So. Uh, potentially this weight loss might actually help him even more on the defensive end because offensively he's it was a definitely a part of his game that he would you know use his body in the post um back to back people down and um it is something that he struggled with against the celtics when the celtics they have a lot of um you know strong uh full wings forward slash guards like the likes of we've talked about them before like semi-ogeline or whatever but 
um, yeah, so um, basically my overall point is it might be an even bigger help from defensively than offensively that way lost. Yeah, no, that's 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 completely right. And uh, it'll be interesting going forward seeing if the likes of Aaron Baines, who despite not necessarily showing up on the box score in terms of points, rebounds and assists, is really developing in terms of his plus minus on the floor. He's been part of a couple of good comebacks recently. And um, he's providing a real presence on that floor to defend uh, opposition centers. So it'll be interesting how they use Aaron Baines. I know this podcast, of course, swings their opinion on Aaron Baines as much as they do in terms of tanking or making the playoffs. But there's just some hope he can develop some real consistency uh, going forward. Just needs to learn now how to rebound. And I think we've got our serviceable backup center for next year. Um, There's a couple of other things uh, in that game. One was... So the lack of Lowry and Van Vliet meant Nick Nurse made the interesting decision not to start his backup point guard, Malachi Flynn, who who has been absolutely excellent over the last three games in double figures in all of them. I know we called him out on the last podcast for failing to really make an impact on offense, but he has just... For some reason, somehow he's just gone up a notch in these last few games. I don't know if it's in yeah, minutes. His, his performance against the Lakers was spectacular, frankly. Yeah, no, he's he's showing everything he needs. A couple of absolutely beautiful passes. That sort of ability to drive and kick is very, very crucial. I mean, it's, it's basic stuff, right, in the NBA. But if you can do it, you know, you've got a place on most rosters. Um, instead, however, he played DeAndre Bembry. Uh, Bembry, of course, player who's really, really grown on me this season. Because he's not only shown an ability to come off the bench and play high-energy defense, but he's a ball handler. And Nick Nurse used him as the secondary ball handler when Lowry and Van Vliet sat on the bench and Malachi wasn't getting any minutes. But in this starting role, for example, uh, against Washington, played 30 minutes, uh, shot 7 from 10 for the field, 15 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal and a block. Zero turnovers, right? He's very clean and tidy with the ball. Um, he can do a job. And I think he's can be real, really part of this Raptors roster going forward. And you forget, he's only 26 years of age. He fits in with that core age group pretty well. And I think mm. it's another example of a, yeah. of a rough diamond that Nick Nurse and Masai have managed to spot and polish, really. So that's very impressive. But, of course, I can't not mention his guard partner, Gary Trent Jr. I mean, the audacity, and I'm not sure if you saw the game winner. Obviously, you heard it at the start of this clip. But the audacity to grab the rebound. Nick Ness, of course, not calling a timeout because after the game he said he didn't want to give time to the Wizards' defense to set up. And then just goes for a behind-the-back, makes use of a flop from Ryle Neto, and then just just pulls up like like nobody's business. Um, And I think that's Raptors' first game winner this season. They've had a lot of opportunities, of course. Um, Siakam for all he has developed, has still not notched a game winner this season. Um, but, you know, that kind of clutch player, it's it's a trait that gets you far. And it's a trait that even some of the best players don't have. So going forward, uh, he seems like a very good fit in this Raptors team. I was a bit unsure, I mean, about the trade going through. But I think especially if the Raptors can retain him for a decent bag, you know, that's... That's that's a, that's going to be, prove to be a really really good trade. Um, what, what do you think of yeah, Gary Trent so far? Few games. Yeah, um, excellent points to touch on there, Kamel. But 
Um, when we look at Powell, I think the thing we have to say about Trent is probably has a higher ceiling defensively as well. So, look, if he carries on this form, yeah, fantastic. And he's going to secure a decent amount of money for himself. But if you look at how much he's likely to earn and how much Powell was likely to earn, like he's in a lower bracket than Powell. Um, just because Powell was such an important piece for the franchise for, you know, a year and a half, two years. Um, so he was likely to secure a lot more money to, to actually be able to, for us to be able to keep him. So, um, like I said with the trade, when you're, when you're getting two players for one, if Trent can like somewhat match Powell's production, that we've absolutely won that trade then. Because the thing that people overlook in the NBA is it, money is such an important factor. Securing good contracts is an incredible component of actually constructing a, a championship roster because if you underpay somebody by, say, two or three million, that could mean that you end up signing one of these uh, vets on a minimum contract. We saw what Brooklyn's been able to do with that. Once you've actually got that championship roster, then you add two or three very experienced pieces for basically peanuts. I'm not sure if that's a rule that's potentially going to change, Camille. Maybe we could discuss that. That is um, that is a narrative that has been going around the NBA, just how unfair it's been with uh, Brooklyn being able to secure, you know, all these prime, <laughs> what it looks like players um, from their prime. Uh, and these are players who are all all-stars in, you know, the 2015 period. But um, yeah, the, this Powell deal, we could look at it um, in six months' time and say that was an absolutely spectacular move by uh, Ujiri there. Yeah, let's not also forget Rodney Hood, who's proven he's a vet, of course. Um, as we heard last episode from, from our Portland correspondent, he's had his fair share of injuries and he hasn't developed as much as he could have. He's not played to his maximum potential. But mm. he's still a very useful piece going forward. And we know the Raptors, having traded away Terrence Davis and uh, Matt Thomas, right, are basically giving Rodney Hood when he's fit those minutes. And he's a very useful piece. So that shouldn't also be discounted in the trade, right? A so-called salary filler turning out to actually be a contributor as well, mm-hmm. which which you can't take for granted. Um, I'm not going to do too much on the Warriors or the Lakers. Warriors game, of course, everyone knows by now, it was just an absolute, absolute blowout. There's no Draymond, no Steph for the Warriors. Of course, you could say that there's no Lowry for the Raptors either. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't recognize that Warriors outfit, really. They were just extremely, extremely poor. They shot 32.9% from the field compared to 53% for the Raptors. Um, again, it was it was, it was was the first game this season, I believe, where the Raptors have out-rebounded their opponents significantly. 53 rebounds compared to 38. Uh, that's, that's the first time they've always, always been in a deficit, but it seemed everyone on the bench grabbed at least five rebounds for the Raptors. Uh, and really importantly, I think most importantly, the bench players got a really good run out. And that's been one of yeah. the benefits because we know they're, the, they're young, right? Watanabe's yeah. new, Flynn's young, Bembry's developing, even Stanley Johnson still developing. Uh, Baines needs confidence. So getting them a run out, very, very important. They all played 20 minutes plus. So very, very pleased with that performance. You see anything we, else we could take from this game or was it just one of those freakish games where one team is half serviceable as the Raptors and one team just, you know, makes a mess of the bed, really? Um, I think 
if you look at it more closely, it's something that's perhaps not too unpredictable. You maybe couldn't have predicted this kind of scoreline, but you could have absolutely predicted a blowout because what this game, for me, is a beautiful example of is how important playmaking is. Because we look at the types of... Um, we, we look at so many of the stars in the league today, they're pretty good playmakers. And it's something that we've basically as NBA fans taken for granted because pretty much everyone could do it, even players like Yanis. Yanis has become a spectacular playmaker. Like every single star is a pretty good playmaker. We'll, we were going to discuss the Boston Celtics this episode and it's something I was going to talk about with Jason Tatum. It's an facet he really needs to develop. But you look at every borderline all-star or just perennial all-star, they've all got it. Some of them are good playmakers, but some of them are spectacular playmakers, but they've all got it. And in that game against the Raptors, without Draymond and without Steph, they were completely lost. There wasn't a single person who was directing plays, um, putting his uh, teammates in the correct positions to make shots. Because in all fairness, the Warriors didn't have bad players out there. I mean, the likes of Damian Lee, Ken Bazemore, Paschal, Ubre, um, Wiggins, uh, even Jordan Paul Wiseman, although Wiseman has struggled, these are all decent players and you can maximise their potential when you have a playmaker on the team, but without without either of those guys, without Steph, without Draymond, it, it was a horror show on offence. One of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen and 77 points is bad in 2004-2003. Even if you were playing like the 2004 Pistons, you wouldn't be happy with 77 points. But in the modern NBA, that is absolutely pathetic. And um, yeah, like you said, 32% from the field, uh, 21 turnovers the Warriors had as well. It was it was a shambles. Yeah, there's a, there's an argument to be made that without Steph, the Warriors would probably be as bad as the Bobcats were in the, right at their you know the trough of their performances when they when they were yeah. a franchise. Um, but I wonder, you know, they've obviously got a good makeup, as you say, you know, and with full strength, with Clayback, they'll obviously be challenging for the top once again. Um, but, I mean, even based on the fact that the OKC, one of the worst OKC teams in recent years, managed to beat the Raptors fairly comfortably, you would have maybe expected the Warriors to put up a little bit more of a fight. But again, maybe that's just uh, Nick Kerr's sort of philosophy with these games and just to sort of let it go, you know, and the players kind of sense that. Um, one team who doesn't, though, and one team without their two best stars who really had a revenge game and beat the Raptors for the first time since 2014, remarkably, right? First time since the post-Kobe uh, era, almost, was the Los Angeles Lakers. who built up a very, very comfortable... There's only a nine-point win in the end, 110-101. But to be honest, after they scored 40 in the first quarter, they kind of just absolutely cruised to it. And most of the deficit, well, half of the deficit was made up by Siakam playing garbage time and scoring 13 free throws uh, in that period. So, I I, I thought it was a really disappointing game, though, because they were out without LeBron and Anthony. So I actually had us as favourites going into the game. They haven't looked good without without, uh, those guys. And... um, I think one particular highlight here is looking at Marc Gasol, just oh, yeah. seeing his value. This was a stellar 
or just one of those performances from him we saw so many times for the Raptors he only had 13 points but he was fantastic in every single department it just showed how much we missed him he even had four blocks in this game he, he, he just not bad like for an prime, old man yeah prime Grizzlies Gasol I mean yeah he he showed the Raptors that day he's like right this is what you guys are missing yeah, I mean, that's always going to be the, the argument, right? Gasol only walked because Masai in the front office banked on getting Ibaka back, who ended up, they ended up pay, underpaying Ibaka, and suddenly you, you've lost both of your star caliber centers. So, uh, you know, I don't think Gasol, as we saw before the game, as much animosity towards the franchise that um, was it his second ring or his first ring he got? First ring. His, yeah, that he got his first yeah. ring with. Sorry, I'm thinking of his brother yeah. Powell, of course, uh, in terms of... Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, but no, he was he was phenomenal. And I think maybe part of that comes with, as you say, the the minimum vet signings, which are proving very useful in terms of Andrew Drummond, who was injured for this game. But of course, Gasol's got pressure now. <laughs> so, uh, especially going into the playoffs, he, he's also admitted he might not be playing as much. He wasn't too happy personally with the Drummond signing. Um, but you know, I don't think the Lakers can, re- despite this game, I'm not sure the Lakers can rely on him to play 30 plus minutes in playoff games, uh, as, as we saw last year with the Raptors, just really not up to speed against against the best. Um, of course, this game wasn't helped by quite a weird exchange between OG Ananobi and Dennis Schroeder. Play on, length of the court, and that's a foul. Oh, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa. That, no, that should be a flagrant. Whoa, look out. That was OG. And that is a wrestling move, taking down Schroeder. Uh, someone said it marked a low in British-German relations in recent past. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, OG almost flipping Dennis Schroeder over with one hand after getting caught up in a foul. It was very odd. I don't think OG is the type to do that on purpose. Maybe it was a heat of the moment thing, but he's such a kind of seems like a very passive guy, too passive to flip someone over knowingly like that. Uh, but then on the replay, it looks really bad. And of course, it wasn't him and Schroeder that got got ejected. It was him and Montrez Harrell, surprisingly. <laughs> Bizarrely. So, I mean, also we saw Gary Trent, of course, didn't have the greatest game, shot 415, but him and OG are developing very close friendship and uh, he was instantly in there defending his teammates. So that's also very nice to see Gary Trent getting involved with the franchise. We love that. But you're right. It was a pretty disappointing performance overall. One thing I was glad to see is uh, our favorite Japanese player, Yuta Watanabe, is back in the lineup, seems to be back in the rotation. Who knows once Lowry and Van Vliet comes back. But either way, he got another 20-minute game under his belt. And I think this is a vindication that he will be part of the fran- he'll be part of the rotation next season, uh, and as many minutes as he can get this year, it's even better, you know, uh, for his development. Malachi Flynn, of course, thirty-three minutes as well, uh, a yeah. reward for him. And as you said, it was a fantastic performance: eleven points, eight rebounds, four assists, couple of steals. Eight and- rebounds, though. Eight rebounds. Top rebounder on the team. <laughs> and the thing is, Kamel, maybe. Carl Lowry's taking him under his wing because that's what we always saw from Carl, just contributing not just with points but just in every facet of the game. So, um, if that is indeed happening, if Lowry is uh, trying to improve all aspects of his game, you know that would be awesome to watch for the remainder of the season for him to just you know grow and um, 
he and he would be an excellent example for Malachi Finn as well because Larry was never he wasn't always especially at the start of the career he wasn't always this all-star level player either so he could take great inspiration from you know Carl's story in the NBA as well yeah would you rather have Tyrese Maxey or half a season of Kyle Lowry mentorship I think the latter for most people yeah honestly yeah no, no it's, it's we're being serious here yeah it's, it's a very useful underrated skill uh, having having that veteran in your camp when you got especially such a raw talented point guard like Flynn um, moving on to the future as I've said I've teased it a little bit you know we've got four games coming up which are going to be really really crucial in which direction the franchise goes in this season Chicago the 11th the 10th seed sorry tonight on Sunday you face Cleveland the 12th seed then you got the Knicks on on Monday right 8th seed and lastly Atlanta Hawks I know they're 5th they're performing very well that's a team that you sort of have in your sights that you just lost to last last time out and that you can really catch up even you know uh, admittedly 6.5 games behind but who knows by then might only be three so four crucial games uh do you see them all or do you see any of them as wins of course the last four times they faced off uh the reverse fixtures were were losses for the raptors obviously but do you see any wins now especially with a couple couple of dubs under the belt what do you think going forward kamel um so it's not just these next four games i'm looking at the schedule here in front of me eight nine ten in the next 10 games the only um certified playoff team that this that the raptors are playing are the nets and then their schedule for the remainder of that of the season following those 10 games they're it's horrific they're playing uh having a look here they're playing the clippers twice they're playing the lakers once they're playing the nets um so again in that uh end of season period the nuggets once um the mavericks the pacers so these next 10 games if then they need to win honestly like seven or eight to give themselves a chance and so when we're looking at these next four games they have to at minimum win three games and i think the only acceptable acceptable game for them to drop if they really want to have legitimate uh you know payoff uh aspirations is you can probably drop a game against the hawks just because i think that hawks team is good enough um, to make you know the five or six seed that they're, they're not going to be competing with the raptors and, and they're frankly they're just too far ahead at this point so um i think the next three games um so that will be finishing on monday uh this coming monday so yeah the next couple of days really against the Bulls, against the Cavs, against the knicks realistically they're all must win games yep that's right and it's a difficult one because um as we go forward in that playoff tournament with the 7th and 10th place. 7th place is, of course, the Boston Celtics, who I guess we'll move oh. on to now. Um, probably expected higher things after reaching the conference finals last year. And even yeah. a good early run for the Celtics. You sort of thought maybe they can do something similar this year, if not finally take the step, especially with the likes of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, who continue developing, continue improving the squad. But Varel, what's what's happened to them? What, why are they languishing on a 500 record? Which is underperforming for them, of, of course. Yeah, absolutely underperforming. I mean, I don't know what the COVID protocols that are there in Boston, Kamel, because 
in terms of the number of player days missed this season, they have 20 more days than the next highest team in the league. I think there are like around 130 um, games missed. Uh, uh, this is accumulating the totals for every single player on the roster. So uh, maybe they're all they're going on like a birthday celebration once a week. You know, um, constantly visiting family and friends. I don't know what's happening because it's absolutely it doesn't make sense if you just look at it. Um, epidemiologically I don't know if that's a word I'm just making that up for you there Camille but it's not like the cases in Boston are so much higher than the rest of the country that there's a reason that 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 would be the reason for the higher uh, number of cases of course it could just be you know just pure uh, uh, lack of luck shall we say Um, they could just be unlucky in that department but I think there has to be a reason for the, that that high number of cases because it's so much higher than every other team. Something's going wrong there. Um, maybe they're the only ones taking it uh, seriously. They're strict about the protocols. I don't really know. But um, that's actually been, been a big reason for this team because one thing you can actually point at is that they really just... They don't have eight or nine reliable guys, really. Um the depth for this team was such a big strength to them in the past couple of seasons and I think seasons and I think that the one massive area that they're missing is the big man position they're having to start Daniel Tice um every single game and he's not a bad player but uh it's not the type of player that they needed because they needed the def- in, uh, defense in the interior because they have so much capability from around the perimeter offensively so you don't really need a big man that can shoot freeze like Tice does because that's his big strength being able to shoot freeze um so yeah they did actually trade him in the end to the Chicago Bulls but that was a signal trading uh, Daniel Tice although his uh, contract was expiring this summer so it was a smart thing to do but it was really a signal by the team that yes We've just given up. Like we're not going for the title this season. We know we're not going to make it because now they've only got, really got two big men. Um, Tristan Thompson's going to have to now play significant minutes. You've, uh, Robert Williams, actually, who I would have actually liked to have seen start in front of or ahead of um, Daniel Tyson. Right, but he can't. Opinion. He can't play more than twenty minutes a game due to I think it's a cardiovascular condition. Um, oh really? Yeah, that's the reason his minutes because he he produces in those minutes. We all know he produces, but oh, um, that's such a shame. Yeah, no, he's 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 awesome, man. Like defensively, like you look at him and you think, yeah, I see Capella in him, I see Gobert on him defensively, and he produces one point eight blocks a game in his eighteen minutes. But he's such um he's such a fire starter, like he's such a energetic. I don't know, just positive impact player. Like I love watching him play, so that is a massive shame. I'm actually quite upset uh, about that. But um, probably should have uh, researched there, Kamel. But um, yeah, this roster, like they've got so many issues outside of COVID. I've talked about the lack of depth, but but they picked lack up. Depth, what, do, what do you think of the pickup of Evan Fournier? I know he hasn't delivered in his first few games. Yeah, that's a useful. No, no, he's been okay. He's been okay, but. If you think about it, Evan Fournier is just Gordon Hayward light. He, he's not... They've already got two superstar guards uh, stash forwards. I mean, 
when we were looking at the Celtics roster construction, or when we look at it now, you think to yourself, can even those guys mesh in terms of, can they be complementary stars? Like, you know, Tatum being the guy and then Brown backing him up because that kind of tandem hasn't won many times in NBA history. You look at uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, but even they had Dennis Rodman or um, Horace Grant in the first trilogy. So the Celtics don't have that player. They don't have that big who's just like a defensive anchor, which which could work if with the likes of um, Tatum and Brown. If you then had like a big who's just defensively solid, I mean, Robert Williams could potentially fill that role for them um, if it wasn't for the, you know, the cardiovascular condition. But if that's going to be a long-term problem for him, they need a player that fills that role because, yeah, like I said, that just the way the roster's constructed, Evan Fournier, is, he's going to have the same problems as Gordon Hayward. He, he has a very, very similar play style to Gordon Hayward and we saw how much he struggled because of his the, the lack of the ball in his hands and then don't even get me started on Kemba Walker and how poor he's looked this season. I mean, they've probably been trying to trade him for the past couple of months, but you would need to give away some of those picks that you've accumulated so tediously over the past 10 years. Um, and the front office, they're not not—they're not the type. Uh, and I think this might be another flaw with the front offices. They do a lot of smart things where you're like, okay, that individual move makes sense. But like, they're so unwilling to take risks, which you need to do as a front office. And honestly, for me, trading away Kemba for a big, for example, would that is a must-do move. Um, and even if that means giving away some of the young pieces you have now, so like the likes of Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford maybe, or if that also means giving away like two or three first-round picks, you have to do it because if you don't win in the next two or three years, you're not you're not likely to keep Tatum and Brown, in all honesty. So, um, yeah, bizarre, bizarre. Tatum, I I wanted to ask what you thought. I'm just looking through their schedule now. So throughout the season, they have been almost a definition of a, if you were referring to in Premier League terms, a mid-table side. Oh, 100%. They all average in every single category. They've averaged, but they haven't beaten the big boys this season. They've been a flat-track bully. They've beaten everyone, New Charlotte, Houston, uh, Dallas. The only big victory I see them getting, they got one. I think it was on a double. They took one out of two on a double header against Milwaukee, and then yeah. they also beat LA, and that's that's it. I mean, you can maybe you can consider Denver, but I think Denver were pretty poor early in the season. Uh, you can't really consider that a big victory. But otherwise, there's been zero big victories for this Celtics team. That's two out of fifty-two games that they've beaten. Yeah, the big yeah. You know, like it's. Th- that record is unbelievably right. average. Carol. If if you look at all their stats, like their three point shooting, their um, you know op- the opposing few opposing teams like field goal and three point percentages in terms of so def- they're defending like every single stat they're just completely league average. Um, it's not good to see. And, uh, another player you talk about, Marcus Smart. He's been all over the place. Marcus Smart is my favorite player. He is. The, the meme at the moment has been um, he is what um, who, what's the Clippers guy what's um, the really annoying Clippers player called Beverly Beverly yeah he is what Beverly thinks he is like, Beverly thinks he's Marcus Smart but he's not <laughs> Marcus Smart has been so unbelievably inconsistent more so than he usually is 
But for one example I can give is just when he's been playing that secondary playmaker role, say when uh, Kemba Walker has been uh, off the court, play to play, you just don't know what to expect from him. Sometimes he pushes the ball and uh, jacks up a contested three with five seconds gone on the shot clock. Sometimes um, he just inexplicably loses the ball because he's not paying attention to his dribbling. His playmaking, as the as that secondary playmaker, he, if he's, say, in the lane and say if he gets double team, there's a very good chance he's just turning the ball over because he just... Um, he, he he doesn't see anything in his periphery almost. So, um, yeah, is Marcus Smart, is that, is that somebody they're going to have to look to move? Because I'm one of his biggest fans, but he's got to be frustrating the hell out of this team. And he might actually be one of the reasons why this team has had the locker room issues it's had. I think um, there have been reports of him getting into argument with some of the players. And although he wasn't highlighted as an issue, uh, because because it's really weird because he has a go so uh, so often on the court as teammates for doing the wrong play You'll, you see him bickering on the court at Jalen Brown oh, you should have done this you should have done that but he does so many stupid things as well Just you, you're just scratching your head going what the hell are you thinking there Marcus so that has got to be so grating for his teammates that you know that, that they would probably feel like it's hypocritical almost uh, with how much he complains so I don't think there's an easy fix for this team. I don't think they've got a shot in hell of um, doing anything in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make it past the first round. And um, yeah, the only thing I think they can hope for is just to find just a run of form towards the end of the year. Just so, uh, I don't know, the likes of Tatum and Brown, they've so that they're happy that, okay, this is the place to be for the um, next couple of, you know, seasons, next two, three, four years. Yeah, that's an interesting dissection. And of course, they might just have to... I know I like what you said about Marcus Smart. You know, mm. he's, a, he's a great player. He's almost integral to the Celtics at this point. But then again, so was DeRozan for the Raptors. Is there yeah. maybe an opportunity yeah. that comes up where they can pull off something, pull off a great trade? Of course, I mean, the Hayward situation sort of put them back a couple of years, right? Uh, mm. You know, you sign a huge player. You think he's going to be a great player for you. Unfortunately, he suffers, injury, suffers a terrible injury uh he's balling out for the celtics uh for, for the hornets sorry yeah yes but you know he was ne- he never really fit in in boston and that yeah that cost him a couple of years of this d- plan from danny ainge i think uh yeah. so it's just more of a retool for them as well um are you confident if it ha- if it does go to a play and you're pretty confident of the raptors doing anything against them of course the celtics got the season sweep three and oh this year no, yeah 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 what do you think about no no I, I think they've got the Raptors number because they just match up so terribly for us fair enough I mean for us offensively they are such a defense like their defense it matches up absolutely perfectly we talked about the number of players you can switch on to um, Siakam um, the only thing I will say is now that they've traded Daniel Tice we could potentially now look, look to uh bully them a little bit more inside because they don't have that big like okay okay you've got Tristan Thompson but he's not like a stellar defender so are you talking about Baines revenge Baines revenge mate, yeah if Baines is playing on top form I think we've, yeah we've got an excellent chance but yeah this Celtics yeah. team it is it is a little bit like the UFC they just match up really badly for us and so I don't fancy our chances against them in a playoff tournament 
Yeah, of course. Well, first thing for the Raptors is to get that 10th seed. And I think by the time we next record, they will have a much better idea of where they're going this season, of whether yeah, yeah. these episodes are just about the young players or whether there's actually something competitive left to, to scavenge from this strange, strange season. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure once again. Uh, let's hope... I don't know. Are you hoping for wins or are you hoping for losses? It's... It, uh, oh, everything's wins, a win at this course, point, right? Camille. What's you that? have to hope for wins, but uh, I think one thing I wanted to leave us off um, for the listeners, I think we'll we'll see if uh, we might put a poll off of this. I'm not sure, but I think it would be awesome for us to do like a uh, story of Norman Powell at, with his time, not just at the Raptors, but for his career overall. We kind of uh, done these episodes for other players in the past, but more so we've done it for the younger players on the team, um, the likes of Chris Boucher, for example, Terence Davis. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be just a very interesting potentially for you guys to hear about um, Powell's backstory. And um, we, that might be something we might consider releasing in the next couple of weeks, depending. It does actually depend on the Raptors' form, Camille, because yeah, if the Raptors are completely out of playoff contention, that's when you'll see us making those kind of more so filler episodes. Um, so yeah potentially Kamel what we, what we could say to the listeners is that if we do end up losing you know the, all three of the next games then you'll probably see us doing a normal power episode in the very near future great stuff well we'll see you next time and I'm sure of course as you say we need to pay tribute to power regardless of uh, anything else you know he's been such, such a servant to the club and as much as we praise Gary Trent we'll never forget Norm the destroyer of the Milwaukee Bucks well We'll see you next time. Catch you all next week, people.